0: If you would, please open up with me in your Bibles to Zechariah chapter five. If you don't have a Bible that you bring, uh, we do have few Bibles uh, to find, and I believe you could find Zechariah five on page seven hundred and ninety-five. While you're opening up there, uh, in my uh, first ordained pastorate uh, at a church plant uh, that had just uh, just organized, uh, Grace. Prez in the Northeast, uh, we were still meeting at an elementary school, Lonnie B. Nelson Elementary. If you're familiar, on North Brickyard, uh, up uh, two notch a little bit, uh, out near Sandhills area, and, and we were meeting there, and uh, we had a small a small session of elders, and then uh, uh, myself, uh, the associate pastor, and and then the, the head pastor, the senior pastor, his name was Brandon, but uh, one elder's name was uh, was Scott Hallstrand and uh, Scott always had two things that he would talk about. Every time I saw this man, uh, he would talk about two things. The first was uh, praying, even as we just prayed, for an adult baptism at Grace Prez. Uh, That's a church plan off of First Prez. It was a giant fellowship to begin with, and we received a lot of new members, uh, but what we were not receiving uh, were those who uh, did not believe in the Lord Jesus and then uh, did believe. And Scott, uh, he just, he didn't like that. He desperately wanted us to be about uh, that great commission, not only training up the disciples uh, uh, and, and teaching them, right? But but bringing those in to baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Uh, that was his heart. A second thing that he would always say, and it was at, every time after I would preach, it ate me up uh, constructive criticism that sometimes I uh, latched onto the criticism part more, but it was so good. And he said, uh, Why? I'd preach a whole sermon and he'd just come up to me and say, Why? Why? You know, you said God's beautiful. Why? You, you said it, but why? You didn't tell me why. <laughs> I said, Well, what do you mean? I preached a whole sermon. And he said, You're right, and you didn't tell me why. <laughs> man you know I mean I just you know as a young you know younger man you're cutting his teeth and preaching and things like that man you know and 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 so today as I was praying and thinking how can we introduce this text uh, the main point is that God is in control of wickedness we're going to see that and we're going to see it clearly even I was talking with the children God is in control of wickedness but you know sometimes I'll say something like this as Christians we can have hope we can be hopeful in this world as Christians why why There's a million answers to that that you can find in the Bible. There really is. But one of them is our main point this morning. If you want to know why a Christian can be hopeful in all circumstances in a world that seems like it's falling apart, it is because of our main point this morning in Zechariah chapter 5, verses 5 through 11. God is in control of wickedness. For this we praise him and let's pray before we read his word this morning. Oh, Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you thank you for your word. God, thank you for your power. Lord, I pray that by your Holy Spirit you would grip us the very bone and marrow and that you, would, uh, that you would help us to see you, to love you, and to serve you all the more even as we hear this word proclaimed. Lord, work through your word. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. This is Zechariah chapter 5, starting with verse 5. Then the angel who talked with me came forward and said to me, Lift your eyes and see what this is that is going out. And I said, What is it? He said, This is the basket that is going out. And he said, This is their iniquity in all the land. And behold, the leaden cover was lifted. And there was a woman sitting in the basket. And he said, this is wickedness. And he thrust her back into the basket and thrust down the leaden weight on its opening. Then I lifted my eyes and saw and behold two women coming forward. The wind was in their wings. They had wings like the wings of a stork. And they lifted up the basket between earth and heaven. Then I said to the angel who talked with me, where are they taking the basket? He said to me, to the land of Shinar, to build a house for it. And when this is prepared, they will set the basket down there on its base. The grass withers, the flowers fade. But the word of the Lord, it stands, it remains forever. And for this we praise God. Remember our main point. God is in control of wickedness. Let's see two, uh, two points to get us there. Number one, restraint restraint of wickedness. Number two, total removal of wickedness, okay? Restraint and removal will help us to see that main point that God is in control of wickedness. First, God is in control of wickedness's restraint, verses five through eight. When it comes to wickedness, evil, uh, the problem of suffering and the things that that those things cause, there can be many questions in the church. Out of the church, believers, -believers, non-believers, it's just a talking point, all right? In life, in reality, and it's not a topic to be taken lightly. There is a depth to the discussion on these things, or, or at least there should be. But of all the questions that we as believers in the Lord Jesus might ask regarding kind of evil or wickedness, sin, suffering, you know, all of these different things regarding God's sovereignty, this is one that we cannot ask who is in control of wickedness. For we know that God is in control, for God is all-powerful. He is almighty. There is none above him. In fact, all is below as he has created all. And so, we see this time and time again in the scriptures. Uh, Just to use Egypt as an example for us, before we we kind of dive especially into into our words here in Zechariah. uh, For instance, you've got uh, this servant of God, Joseph. Remember, Joseph was sold into slavery. He was in prison, right? So, he, he was actually doing pretty good in Egypt for a while. But then, even more... Bad stuff happened to him, right? And he got put in jail. And then some stuff kind of happened for him there, right? He had some opportunities to interpret some dreams. And he said, remember me. Will you remember me when you leave? And if you recall, those men said, yes, I will. I will remember you. And then they forgot him. They forgot. And so then he stuck, you know, for a little bit longer. But uh, nevertheless, as God's sovereignty, God's control bore itself out, the timing was so perfect that not only was Joseph Deliver into the highest status in the entire world at that time. Not only was he able to preserve an entire country and empire in Egypt, but he was also able to save God's people, which, by the way, were the blood, his people, his literal family, nuclear family. He saved them because of, if you recall and go all the way back, their wickedness and that is exactly what he said to them you meant this for evil but God meant it for good look you are saved Another good example: those ten plagues in Egypt. God revealing and manifesting His power. Uh, We were just reading about uh, uh, these—Miriam, and Isaac, and Carwin, and And, I—and we we were looking at all of them: the frogs, and the flies, and the darkness, and the blood, and all of these different things. And one thing that you see in Exodus, as you're reading that, is that Pharaoh hardened his heart over and over. Pharaoh hardened his heart. But then there are other phrases that play out: his heart was hardened. Is another way that it is said so Pharaoh hardened his heart then we see that his heart is hardened but then we also see another line God hardened his heart there was an intention to that movement and reality and what do we see out of it? We see some intense things, but we get a revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ in a Passover lamb, in blood that is put on the doorpost, in an exodus out, in power manifesting from God Himself as they walk on dry land, and God's enemies uh, and the people, uh, uh, and, and the enemies of the people of God are crushed under the power of God Himself. We see it all, and it bears out in this conversation that we have about wickedness. But one thing that we cannot question as we read these stories in the scriptures is that God is in control of those things. Over and over, time and time again, God explicitly answers that question in power and in action. God is in control of wickedness. And this includes the restraint of it. And this is what we see in verses 5 through 8 in picture form okay? Remember uh, that Zechariah is writing in a unique way. He is revealing these visions that he's seeing, and by the way, uh, he's seeing them all in the same night, and, he's, and, and, and it implies this angel's kind of shaking him away and saying, hey, what do you see now? And, you know, Zechariah's coming out of it trying to see what he's seeing. He's recording these things for God's people's good. The Holy Spirit is carrying him along in this, and so we see here a vision of a woman in a basket, okay and and this basket again uh, just like we've seen in the previous visions you might finish reading verses 5 through 11 of our text uh, of of the book of Zechariah today and say yep uh I don't I don't got that one (laughs) right you know just like the flying scroll you know you see uh, well yeah no I don't know but just like we saw last week with the flying scroll it's a big old piece of paper with words on it that everybody can see and then you say well okay I get that it's the very same thing this time, okay? Uh, the picture is a little bit more involved, but it's a very similar flow where when you see the picture, you see the picture and you get the truth right there. And so we have this basket, and, and this basket, by the way, is, a, is an ephah basket, okay? And so if you recall, uh, that's just a typical measurement of that time. And so it would be a basket that you would put flour or grain in and you could measure it up and you could know where about kind of what it is, right? You go to buy a gallon of milk. Right, right now we go to the store. We get a gallon or a half gallon. Well, get the ephah basket, right? Let's go get an ephah flour, right? You know, it's a similar thing, okay? And so you've got this ephah basket, and, and and there's something very unique about this basket though, because it has a leaden cover, and, and the terminology is, uh, it's not just like it's a very thin lead cover. It's like this is a super heavy cover, okay? That that's the implication that you see where you know you or, or you or I, and if, if you know about lead, it's very heavy. okay you you, you try to pick it up and move it It, it's a huge it would almost crush a normal basket right that we're talking about this is a vision okay anything goes in a vision from the Lord and so uh, we see this this very heavy lid that that is meant to surprise surprise restrain that which is in okay and then what do we see in it a personification of wickedness a woman Uh, This is not because God hates women or anything like that. Uh, This is just a very traditional way to reveal, uh, for instance, sexual immorality, uh, deception, uh, things like that. You see it, for instance, in the book of Proverbs, right? Uh, Where you've got wisdom, the the personification of wisdom. She's crying in the street saying, hey, come down this road. Young, young men, uh, don't be fools, right? That's what the, uh, the writer of Proverbs, Solomon, he uses those words, right? The fools, uh, the wise, the simple, uh, right? Uh, the wicked. He, he has these kind of terminology. If you've been following our, our uh, video devotionals on Tuesday and Thursday, y'all are probably very familiar with these, with these terms. But uh, you've got wisdom crying in the street saying, come this way. But then, what do you have over here? The adulteress, right? The wicked one. What is she doing? calling in the street, okay? Uh, and and she's trying to lure those in. uh, The suckers, right? The fools. And and, and to trick them and to take from them not only righteousness but all their goods, all their joy, all all of their peace, all of their contentment, everything to suck them dry. And so uh, you see this bearing itself out again here uh, and and you've got wickedness in the basket and then from there and you'll notice uh, again a a very unique word. Usually I don't do these things but it's very helpful for us. Uh, I usually don't dive into Greek Hebrew or Aramaic but this one's pretty cool so we'll go there okay uh, if you see and notice the word thrust uh, happens twice where there he's uh, this angel's putting wickedness into the basket uh and so it says um uh, verse 8 he thrust her back into the basket and thrust down the leaden weight on its opening sometimes hebrew does a, a he the language uh, um does a very interesting thing where it just doubles up on a word super super dangerous right super super dangerous see that, that it's, it's just the word twice so it, thrust thrust down right so it's a double you know Double thrust, right? Boom, put it right down into the basket. It's, it's super, super dangerous or super, super strong. And, and you see this uh, really believing, right? Believing, believing, you know, it's got a doubling up of the words. And we see that here, uh, uh, our translation, uh, trying to, to hold fast to that with the double use of thrust. But uh, that gets the point across of the picture, right? That we see of this basket with a very heavy lid meant to restrain this personification of wisdom. And then there is this power, boom, boom, right? done. Wickedness can't get out. She is restrained. That is the power of God. She is, as it were, powerless before him. Wickedness has no quarter with the Lord. Verse 8, once again, this is wickedness. And he thrust her back into the basket and thrust down the leaden weight on its opening. But not only does God control wickedness through restraint, he also has the power to totally remove it. Verses 9, 10, and 11. And don't worry, we're going to apply this a little bit at the end, if you are still kind of curious about restraint and what that means for us. But before we get there, uh, by way of illustration, one thing y'all might not know about me, some of you do, but one thing y'all might not know about me is that I like to hunt uh, I go hunting uh, when I'm home in Tennessee. I haven't been since we've had children. I mean, it's been years now. That doesn't mean that I don't like it. It's one of the things that my father and I did uh, when I was growing up. We would hunt deer primarily. We uh, sometimes go turkey hunting. He liked turkey more than I did. Uh, but I loved deer hunting. And one day uh, when I went out hunting, it was the Uh, Maybe the second or the third time I went, uh, I would have killed maybe one or two deer, but my father had taken care of the majority of the stuff, right? It's all cool to shoot the gun, but then there's other stuff that happens, right? Uh, And so up until then, a very, very young man, uh, just a boy, and uh, I killed this doe. Uh, She was probably about 75 pounds, okay? Uh, not, Not a very giant deer, but not a small deer either especially for a young lad and my dad said great you did step one go on and I said what do you mean he said yeah it's time to take care of it I said what do you mean he says it's time to do the stuff that I've been showing you you got to gut this deer okay you got to drag it out we got to get it in the truck and we got to take it to the processor and I said I gotta do it he said absolutely you shot it you're not willing to see it through and so I went about my business it took a lot longer To get it set up to drag, but as a very, very young boy, uh, I tried to drag that deer once, couldn't do it. Twice, couldn't do it. Got that deer maybe three or four feet, couldn't do it. I was not strong enough to get the deer out of the woods. And here's the point. It's one thing to kill a deer, and it's another thing to drag the deer out of the woods. To finish the task to complete the job. In verses five through eight, wickedness is powerless, but still present, like that dead deer. In verses nine through 11, wickedness is powerless and removed. And not only is wickedness removed, but the implication of the picture vision is that this wickedness is removed with ease of power all right that's what we were talking about with the children with the stork okay this wasn't a sparrow okay the angels didn't have sparrows wings where you're thinking they're not going to be able to pick up the basket (laughs) you know it's, it's over they're gonna have to walk right or or you know even an eagle or a falcon you know we think about these big birds still not big enough but when you get into stork range oh yeah big enough yeah, yeah, he's he's got it right. She, those two, those two angels, they've got it okay and 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 that's the reality and and that has actually been the case for storks not only then because then when people would speak of storks in this area uh they carried a mythos unto themselves because of how giant they were Uh, because they were serial monogamists okay uh they would do husband and wife they were husband and wife birds all right Uh, and so they would stick with the same partner for life Uh, and so they had these giant wingspans they were these family birds and, and and when you see them going above i mean it would be like us seeing an airplane right giant giant wingspans even now uh, uh, for instance if you saw a group of storks it would be called a phalanx of storks a phalanx and and if you're familiar with that in Roman warfare also Greek and some other places uh, that was in power Uh, they would have these shields and spears and they would have this armor where you could not go past the phalanx okay once you came up against it it was over That's how the Roman Empire became the Roman Empire, was the warfare and the military strategy of the phalanx. Check it out if you've never seen it. And so even now, in today's talk, right, what do we see? We see the phalanx of storks. Even now, we recognize that power of the stork. And so we see it here in the word. And and more than that, these angels, these these women coming forward uh, with the wind in their wings, the wings of a stork. Verse 9, they lifted up the basket, not just a couple inches. Oh, right, I got it. I got it. We're good. But in between heaven and earth, right? In power with ease. We're up at cruising distance. It's time to roll. Taking it all together. What we see in this vision, as crazy as it sounds, and I hope that you see it, is that we see in picture view the power and the working of the Lord Jesus Christ on behalf of his people. Because God comes in power. Just because Jesus came in what seemed like weakness because he came and was born in a cattle stall because he did not think his equality with God a thing to be grasped but loosened his grip and took on that form of humanity and lived a life like us subject to all of the things in this world wickedness being one of them like us just because he did that Does not mean that Jesus is not the king. It doesn't mean that he is not powerful to save. Because what does he do with the life that he came to live on this earth? He walks straight to the cross. You know, we were in the gospel of Luke for a mere 75 weeks. Do you all remember it? Uh, Right in the middle. On the mount of transfiguration. What does Luke write That Jesus turned his face towards Jerusalem and began to exodus towards it. In other words, to deliver his people. And he goes all the way. And he dies on the cross in humiliation and in weakness. But what he does is in strength receives the full wrath of God that you and I deserve. And it is the very good news because from there, God gives us a gift. And it's the gift of eternal life through belief in the son Jesus. Because Jesus doesn't just die and pay for the sin. He extends salvation and says, I did it for you. I did it for you and for you and for all who would believe on my name. I did it for you. That is the good news of Jesus in power it seems not so easy and yet we have no doubt that Jesus was going to get the job done because that is what God sent his son to do because Jesus is not only fully man he is fully God and so we see here with power wickedness being removed our wickedness is removed it's paid for we are other now in belief in the Lord Jesus we get the gospel picture It seems absurd to say if it wasn't in the word, we'd get the gospel picture even from stork wings, and it is good to see. Now, let's apply very quickly. God is in control of wickedness. He is in control of its restraint and its removal, which means a couple things for us in the here and now. First... God is in control of wickedness, so we should pray to God to restrain and remove it, rather than skinning our knees trying to do it on our own. Uh, It is so easy when we see bad stuff happening to think that we, as humanity, can fix it. Okay? Uh, That is one of, actually, the big, a pushes and pulls and tugs that we see today, uh, not only in politics uh, in our country, but also in the church. Uh, what do we do as a church and why? Uh, what kind of service do we do to the people and why? Uh, th- this conversation is very important. And one thing that we must remember is that, is that we as the people of God, people is the emphasis, right? People, creatures, cannot remove or even restrain wickedness. Well, if we pass laws, we can though. If we pass laws, you're right. But isn't God the one who is in control of getting those things done too? I have seen people consumed to their very souls trying to get one law passed through the legislature of a state. And they burned themselves out so severely by the idol that they were crushed into a hollow shell of what they once were. I'm sure that you might know people too who got so wrapped into one issue. Albeit ones that are so vitally important to us that we must be ones who stand on them. And yet we cannot be ones to think that we can can control other people's hearts on them. And so we pray and we ask that the Lord can restrain those wicked Practices, Whatever they might be. Through the government. Through different parts and pieces of the civil magistrate, if that's how you wanted to say it. But nevertheless, it is God who is in control of wickedness. And we have a part to play in this as God has always told us. To go forth and to be servants. To live those righteous lives. To act, becoming of a follower of God. And so we can certainly be in the mix. Okay? But... We must never forget that the Lord is the one who changes hearts and who restrains in this movement forward. Speaking truly, this is a good heart check for us all. It was actually uh, a severe heart check for me. How many times have you prayed to God to remove wickedness from yourself, from others, from our city, from our state, our nation, or our society? How many times, maybe in the last week, Month, three months, year—have you prayed to God explicitly and said, "Hey Lord, will you take this wickedness away, whatever it might be?" No Facebook posts, no Instagram shares, uh, no—you know—no showing up at the state house. All that stuff is cool. I like that stuff. Okay, but how many times have we closed the hands and in humility prayed for God to work in the situation? Where is our faith at? in the Lord, on wickedness. Second, God is in control of wickedness, so we should not let the narrative of wickedness's power control us. One of the most trying things in our society now is that there is some big, dark, bad, uh, angry shadow of a monster coming to get you. And depending on who you are, and where you are, how old you are, or whatever else is going on, uh, that monster's close, right? And and so you get nervous, and you think, oh, you know, we need to we need to try to you know uh, get away from that because because they're in control, you know. The rich are always going to be the rich, you know. Uh, we got to fight against the power. Oh, those in power, they stay in power. You know that is what it is, right? You know, uh, over and over, we have these big bads that we create, and we allow. Uh, accidentally and not always on purpose wickedness to take control of the power narrative in our minds and, and it could happen if something bad is happening to us uh, it could happen if something bad's happening to others uh, again our society right now it, it's so broken and bent and stressed to the core and, and when we think about uh, when we think about our society, or we think about our people, and we think about the pain of the people, we must never let evil or wickedness be the controlling factor, but we must fall back into the reality that God is in control of wickedness. And that if He can do it for Joseph, where Joseph said, You meant it for evil, but good came because God is good and we are followers of God, then we must be ones who stand in faith saying the same thing. And it sounds like we might have to say it over and over and people might call us different names, but it's okay because that is what the Scripture has called us to, to remind people that even now, even in a society that we are in where everyone, depending on where you are, is looking at somebody else and pointing a finger and saying that the world is crashing down because of you, right? I say, no, it's not. It's not. And if it is, God is in control. And the time is near. Come Lord Jesus. Right? God is in control. And that can give us a peace. It can give us a contentment. It can give us a joy that transcends any momentary affliction. Be it large scale, small scale, big in your own heart, small in your own heart, big in your family, big in your school, big in your wherever. Okay? The Lord is in control of wickedness. So we should not let the narrative of wickedness's power control us. Because wickedness is powerless before the Lord. Totally restrained. And in fact here, totally removed. Number three. God is in control of wickedness. And we should not be surprised when wickedness is used by God. Romans chapter 1, verses 24 and 25. Therefore, God gave them up in the lusts of their heart to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie, and worshipped and served the creature rather than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. Verses 10 and 11 of our text this morning. Then I said to the angel who talked with me, Where are they? Taking the basket. He said to me, To the land of Shinar. To build a house for it. And when this is prepared, they will set the basket down there on its base. Uh, just so you all know, uh, Shinar is the uh, capital city of Babylon. Babylonia. Okay? Uh, so, so God is taking up this wickedness basket, and he's bringing it back, as it were, to Babylon. Babylon. Um, Babylon, by the way, that great harlot, right? If if you read in Revelation and other places, personification of wickedness. Uh, And and when we take this with Romans chapter 1, we begin to see that God at certain times and places, because of his control over wickedness, does give those over into that okay? Uh, God gave them up. And we see that reality as people are striving away from the Lord, as they are desperately seeking to run away from him. As we see God's total ability in control of wickedness to totally remove it, we also see that there are places in this world and places in our own lives that wickedness does dwell. To be aware of these places and to be aware of these practices is one of the first steps in growing in righteousness. Because if you don't know where wickedness is, if you don't know where the wickedness in your own heart is closest to you, lurking, as it were, like a hungry lion seeking whom he may devour, then you will be devoured. We must be those that are aware, not only of our own uh, weaknesses, right? That can lend itself to wickedness. We must be aware of the wickedness that is in our own society. That's at our own back door. That's right across the road. Wherever it is. We mustn't judge those and just think well you know First Baptists well they're pretty wicked you know it's not like that right? Uh, It's not a finger point and kind of silly and immature judgment or something. No. I hope that you get what I mean. That deep dark insidious movement, where you feel it, or you catch that stench and you think, oh, is this, is this wickedness? Is something coming for me in this? Is this a practice that is befitting of a follower of the Lord Jesus? Or am I shutting the lights off, closing the doors, and closing my heart to the Lord, thinking that he can't see, and thinking that those around me don't know? God is in control of wickedness and we see that there are places where wickedness resides at the will of God. Babylonia was one. There are others. Baseline though, in conclusion, It is such good news. Going back to Scott Holstrand, I'm going to have to call him now that I've talked about him so much. Uh, Scott, uh, his deep and strong desire was to see the gospel of Jesus go forward. And he had a bead on the need. He loved God's people. He loved those who confessed in the Lord Jesus. He's a part of of the church, for goodness sake. But his strong desire was to extend the gospel of hope of peace, of love, of deep breath, of you made it, of thank God, of whatever you want to describe it as. Of that good gospel that the Lord extends to you. He wanted to give that to those that don't have it. He wanted to give it to the people. That we, that we are those who are in need who come every Sunday to worship God. And to hear his truths and to proclaim his, his word and his name. And to be not just refreshed, not just rejuvenated. But, but truly given life by the Lord through the things that he has designed and this is why we sing, and this is why we pray, and this is why we hear sermons, and this is why we have elders lay down flat, and this is why we do all of those things, because we worship a God who is in control, and that means he's also in control of wickedness, and so for this, dear Christians, rejoice. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you. Thank you, thank you for how good you are and for how powerful you are and for how you reveal yourself not only in strong, long sentences that can seem academic, but also in picture, even pictures of storks. For Lord, you are the creator of that bird and you are the creator of us and you even then, at the beginning, when you created such a thing, new. In your eternal counsel and will. That such a bird would reveal the Lord Jesus in due time. And so God your wisdom. And your your massiveness. We can never hope to get close to. And yet God you have revealed such things to us. That we might have relationship with you. And so Lord thank you. Thank you for who you are. Thank you for Jesus. And now we sing in Jesus name. Amen.